For those of you who may not know Matt and Julie Scott, they led our time with children this morning. They're both interns here at the church, both students at Fuller Seminary. Julie has been here uh, for the past year, and her husband Matt began his duties in September and will continue through May in an internship here. So uh, I wanted you to know who they were since they were misrepresented in the bulletin. This morning our text of Scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter. This is the story of the baptism of Jesus as told by Matthew. It is told in all of the Gospels. I invite you to listen for God's Word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by a reluctant John the Baptist at the beginning of his ministry. It wasn't that our Lord needed cleansing from sin or some kind of a fresh start in life. In fact, he's the only one who didn't. But his participation in our humanity and brokenness was so complete that in order to fulfill all righteousness, he was baptized by John at the start of things. Baptism is about new life. It's about new beginnings. Now, many of us can't remember our baptisms because it may have occurred when we were so young that we can't remember much of anything, much like Julie Scott. And other, uh, others of us may have experienced some kind of life-changing moment, even something rather dramatic, some dramatic transformation of our lives that led to an adult baptism as an outward sign of an inward grace and a change of heart. But regardless of whether we remember it or not, baptism has marked our lives. There's an old story about a group of leaders in the Presbyterian Church that met in Scotland for a religious conference. They were returning to the roots of the Presbyterian tradition in the land of Scotland. And on a warm summer's afternoon, they went off to explore the beautiful countryside. 
And they came to a temporary bridge that spanned a swift running stream. And they started to confidently cross the bridge. When they were half over, the bridge keeper suddenly appeared and hollered that the bridge had been declared unsafe. But one of the church members didn't quite hear or understand the warning, so he called back, It's all right, my friend. We're here with the conference. We're the Presbyterians. To which the bridge keeper shouted back, If you don't get off the bridge this minute, you'll be Baptists. Now, I have a vague memory of my own baptism when, uh, along with three of my siblings and my mother, we were all baptized together in our Presbyterian church. That baptism took on new dimensions in my life after confirmation when I embraced my faith as a young man in high school. Like many of us, I think, I went through the motions, I completed the process of the church, but with little of the real change of heart or the sense of newness that faith in Christ inspires and demands. But each step in that process moved me in the direction of the transformation the Lord intends. Baptism is both God's action and our response. Both are present. And the effectiveness of baptism is not determined by the moment, whether the baby cries at the baptismal font or whether the adult feels somehow warmed or different, cleansed or inspired by the Holy Spirit. The effectiveness of baptism is determined by what follows. Is there any turning towards the Lord? Is there any diminishing of the hold of sin on our lives? Imagine a great aircraft carrier out in the ocean. When it changes course, it may still be at the same coordinates for the moment. But the course correction will lead to a very different destination, away from the storm, out of harm's way. So what happens in baptism is what happens following the sacrament that begins and is initiated with the sacrament. Now it's sometimes said that a Presbyterian and a Baptist were arguing about baptism. Whether it's necessary to experience full immersion for the baptism to be effective The Baptist said, look, unless the person is dunked completely under the water, it's not baptism. To which the Presbyterian replied, are you saying that if I'm standing in water up to my ankles, it would not qualify as a baptism? Yes, proclaimed the Baptist, that's correct. Are you saying that if I were in water up to my waist, it would not be sufficient, said the Presbyterian? Yes, said the Baptist. Are you saying that if I were in water up to my neck, it would not be sufficient, said the Presbyterian. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It has to cover your head. That's my point, said the Presbyterian. It's only the top of the head that matters. Now, it's unfortunate that the sacraments which our Lord has given the church 
intended to unify us have been the very things that have separated us in the Christian community. But since baptism is both God's act and our response, it's really only needed once. There are, of course, many occasions for the renewal of our baptismal covenant throughout life. We commission people for service in a variety of ways. Our mission trips and people who travel on our behalf, we, have, we commission our officers. We ordain. But since God is always faithful to the covenant, even when we're not, there is no necessity to ever be baptized again. Now, I wonder among the choices that we're making these past few weeks about resolutions and hopes for the new year, whether we've given any thought to perhaps more faithfully fulfilling our baptismal vows. Does our identity as children of God and followers of Jesus Christ direct or even influence how we see ourselves living this coming year? Now, if you're like me, most of my resolutions fall in the category of improving the quality of my life by a little more self-discipline or self-control. But I have to ask myself, what fresh start does God intend for me this year? Maybe something big or maybe something small that will have a big impact. What new beginning does God intend for you? Maybe a small step in the right direction. Sometimes we get stuck in life with patterns, repeating old mistakes and following old patterns. We want to change, we just don't know how to. But small steps in the right direction can lead to significant change. We sometimes feel overwhelmed by the enormity of our problems and the solution often lies in just taking small steps in the right direction. Change often occurs through rather minor adjustments in life. I know a marriage counselor who helps her client couples by encouraging them to take on smaller, more bite-sized challenges. Couples struggling with arguments that escalate whenever they get into a discussion with one another this counselor will say, why don't you just practice talking with one another rather than arguing? You can at least say, I can practice that. Maybe it means asking one another, so what was the most meaningful thing that happened to you today at the dinner table? A small question can open up a very different evening conversation. It begins small. Change your habits, you can change your life. Whether it's eating or exercise or what you think about or obsess about, change is possible. And God certainly intends for each of us to move towards greater health, physically, emotionally, spiritually. With respect to our faith, it's that first step into the water that begins the journey of transformation, that first response to God's love and grace known to us in Jesus Christ. 
Whenever we celebrate the sacrament of baptism in worship, we recall together the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus' final words to his disciples say, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're also instructed to remember our own baptism as we celebrate the sacrament. It's an opportunity to remember our identity as children of God and to celebrate that identity. And it leads us to consider whether we're living in ways that are consistent with that identity. Charles Ransom was a missionary in India for many years. After a long time of ministering to a Hindu man among the Brahmin caste, the man converted to Christianity. The family of the man saw him as a defector and a betrayer of their history and their religion. So on the very day that he was baptized in the Christian faith, the man's family held a funeral service for him in his home village. Ranson suggests this is a fitting description of the way baptism should be understood It's initiation into a new life, but it's also the death for an old one. I knew this instinctively in high school, that when I embraced this faith in Jesus Christ, I knew I didn't fit any longer into my old life, into my old friendships. And not knowing what to do about it, I left home at 17 to begin this new journey of faith. I needed a different context to live out my faith. Now together, infant and adult baptism express the full meaning of baptism better than either one would alone. The meanings are complementary rather than mutually exclusive. Adult baptism gives emphasis to the conscious, free response of a person to God's forgiving love in Jesus Christ. It stresses our public profession and personal commitment to the way of Christ. But infant baptism emphasizes the sovereign grace and initiative of God, demonstrating that even when we're helpless, human beings are loved and affirmed by God. God has chosen us long before we choose to respond to the love of God known to us in Jesus Christ. Baptism creates community. In a recent article in the New York Times, did you know that since the 1980s, the percentage of American adults who say they are lonely has doubled from 20% to 40%. About one-third of Americans older than 65 live alone, and half of those over 80 do. Social isolation is a growing epidemic despite all our technology for social networking. This is community. We're gathered into the community of the faithful. What changes are you planning for your life this year? 
Does it involve participating in the community of faith more often or more deeply? Join me this year in building and strengthening this community of faith where we live out our baptismal vows together in real community. Not just sharing in worship, but sharing in life itself. Caring for one another and caring for those around us in need. We have here what is needed for life. We have real human connection and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit who's promised where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, He will be in our midst. So let us take up the challenge of living by and through and with our faith in Jesus Christ in this new year. And may the Lord be with us all. Amen.